too. How about that all? Fantastic. It's great to have you in church today, and uh, I'm going to just uh, try and tap in a little bit with the, the times, because uh, there is uh, certainly um, some issues facing the world. So unless you've been in an isolation tank um, or in a media-free zone, you would know all about the coronavirus. I think you get it from drinking a certain form of beer. And it's now been effectively labelled as a pandemic and has caused uh, the death of thousands, in which we are, you know, we, our, our thoughts go out to those that have lost their, their friends and relatives. Effectively, though, the global village is closed because of a bad flu. That's not so good. Um, we've got uh, Margaret Saunders, our dear Margaret, has got onto a plane to New Zealand. They may not let her back. Wow. And we've got... Uh, Alexandra and Marianne and Marius have just jumped on the plane to Romania. And it would be really good to pray for all of these folks. So, Father, we just come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we can come boldly, Lord, to the throne of grace in our hour of need. And, Lord, what is scary to the world, Lord, is absolutely something that we can trust you with. Lord, it's just as easy for you to protect us from a cold as it is from... Lord, a virus. But Lord, uh, you know these loved ones, you know their journey, you know they're going forth, Lord, and we pray that you'll be with them, that you'll protect them, that Lord, you take care of any anxiety, any concerns, Lord, any transition issues which uh, come about when we migrate to a new country. May you just place them in that special zone that we call grace, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, so effectively, the global village has, is closed for business because of a bad flu. So how is we as believers meant to respond? Is this some sort of a test of faith? Should we be stocking up on toilet paper? Uh, can we safely go around with business as some sort of a test of faith? You know, I have got enough faith to give you a hug and perhaps infect you. <laughs> Uh, you know, should we now be retreating to our bunkers with our cartons of baked beans waiting for the end of the world? They're all good questions, aren't they? Uh, next slide. Thank you. In January 12, uh, 1888, a blizzard, 1988, a blizzard fell upon Montana, parts of Canada and stuff, where the temperature fell 18 degrees in three minutes and continued to plummet. About 250 people died in this snap blizzard that ended up having what meteorologists call a zero-zero visibility. Not only do you have zero visibility as you look up into the sky, you have zero visibility as you're walking through. And so you had tragic stories of a lady who's found frozen to death with the keys in her hand only metres from the front door of her house. Another couple apparently circled around in the farmyard trying to find each other, missing each other only by metres, were found frozen to death. It was so cold, so fast, so quickly, most people died because they were caught by surprise and they were unable to see because of the blinding uh, ice particles in their eyes. They were like splinters 
uh, assaulting the eyeballs and they basically lost perspective on where they are, they lost their sense of spatial definition, they lost their bearings. And uh, one man does tell the story of how he survived. He was a school teacher and two young lads that were a part of the church, uh, as part of the school where he was, uh, he needed to get them home. They walked. It was only a short distance to the farm. The blizzard hits and they're in trouble. And they can't see. But then one of the young boys sees a tree in front of him and he knows that's one of dad's trees. That tree follows a line of trees down the driveway. And so what they're able to do is simply go from, I found a tree, to someone else says, I found the next tree, to someone finding the next tree, and that was their way home. And so today I want to talk to you about three trees. What are the things that you can know of that are unshakable, that are totally reliable, that no matter what happens to you, or happens to me, or happens to the world, that you can say, that's my truth. That's my amen. That's what I believe. I want to give you those three trees. So the next time that you're in the emergency room at the hospital, or COVID-19, or going to a court, or your bankruptcy hearing, whatever you may be facing, what we do know is this, that storms come. And the storm is coming. So I want to leave you with these three big ideas. The first one is, this is not going to be a, a particularly complicated message, uh, but hopefully it will help you drill down on what really matters. Next slide, thank you. So I want you to know this, that your life is not random. Somewhere on the way we have to make up our mind, are we subject to fate Is life just nothing but a a giant roulette wheel and you're one ball and you're thrown into the midst and, you know, you're going to come out red, black or double zero? Is that what life's really about? Because that's the default understanding of our culture. Our default understanding is that we're all random, there's nothing but fate and luck and horoscopes and a whole range of other ideas is one worldview against the biblical worldview is there's a God in heaven who knows the beginning from the end. He is the first and the last. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the God who was. He's the God who is. And nothing takes him by surprise. And he knows even the numbers of hairs on your head that even the sparrow does not fall from a tree without this God knowing what's going on and directing it towards his plans and purposes. So as believers in Jesus, as passionate followers of Christ, don't like using the word Christians because that's such a bendy word these days, but you know, those committed to Jesus, we must make that ultimate decision to either trust that God is in control or sadly that Mike is in control. One of those thoughts should scare the life out of you because if Mike is in control of this world, we are in real trouble. If Gary's in control of this world, there'd be a lot more charcoal around the place. <laughs> you know, we, 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 you know, Pastor Karen touched on it, uh, Pastor Charlie touched on it, that, you know, so much of our stress comes about by trying to control our life. 
rather than trusting God. Um, many years ago, and you would have heard this story, but it is my story, and I just think it's so illustrative. M- my wife and I were unable to have children for so many years. Uh, first, you've got to catch them. That's one of the hard bits. That you've got to catch them. So I figured that one out. But even then, uh, God didn't seem fit to give us. So when Tristan finally came along, he was always going to be the most spoiled baby ever. Because he was our little baby boy, and we've been looking for him for a while. And when he was about four years of age, he's in the car, and I thought I would give him the wonderful experience of a free trip to an, um, an amusement park known as a car wash. He's never been to a car wash before, and this is going to be a new experience for him. So we go into the car wash, and, you know, you pay your... Probably back then it was $5 or something. And has anybody ever been through a car wash? You know, the big... Okay. So down come the big rollers. And all the water and the sards and everything clouds up. And my little boy, he panics. He thinks it's the end of the world. Literally, that sermon that Pastor preached last week is coming to being. We are dead. It's going to be the end of it. He's sitting in the seat next to me. And I'm trying to say, Tristan, it's okay. We're going to be all right. We're just getting the car wash. He didn't listen to me at all. He screamed and yelled and wanted to get out of the car, which is not a good idea if you're in a car wash. And, uh, and, and I tried to say to him, look, your father's here. Trust your father. You know, you're safe with daddy. But he was very typical of the human race, isn't it? We don't like trusting daddy when there's big whirly gigs going on, making all sorts of noise. So we have to make that decision. Guys, look at me. Look at me. Who do you really trust for your life? Who do you really trust to sort it out? Jesus is just more than a ticket to heaven. He's also the Lord of our life. Really important. Uh, just for the record, Tristan has never been to a car wash since that time. He's still in counselling. <laughs> Here's a promise. John chapter 10 verse 29. Jesus said, I will keep you safe and no one can snatch you out of my hand. I think we can jump out of God's hand if we want to be rebellious, but no one, no one, No thing, no weapon formed against you. Nothing will come across your life that isn't in the plan of God. And even if it appears to be evil, even if it appears to be bad, if you let God work with it, good comes out of it. If you let God have his work in it all. So as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a wonderful opportunity right now to be different in our community. When everybody's just running around like headless chooks saying, toilet paper, toilet paper, toilet paper, toilet paper. Let's take the panic out of the pandemic and say Jesus is actually in control of our world. And have a difference in here that hopefully will flow out there as well. Now, just as a church, we do want to be incredibly responsible and wise with the way that we manage things. So there is a remote possibility that we may need to counsel our connect groups or Council, our services or whatever. It's very, very remote. There's currently about 
nine people are affected with the virus in Western Australia in a city of about 2.2 million. So the, the, the chances of it happening is still very low. But what we want to do is also be wise in terms of the way that we manage things. So, look, if you're unwell, don't come to church. Go see your doctor. Wash your hands. The coronavirus is very clever, but it has no way of getting into your body unless you let it get in. So it literally has to be ingested. You've actually got to eat it in order to catch it. Now, if we're sneezing or whatever, there are all those other things that we can do to prevent infecting others. But in the meantime, let's take the panic out of the pandemic. But just keep an idea. If we need to inform you, we'll do our very best. But we will still try and operate in a way that's fair and appropriate. And, uh, you know, the fear of the coronavirus may end up doing more damage than actually what the coronavirus does. So I choose not to be in fear but to be in faith. I choose to be not in fear but in faith. I choose not to be in fear but in faith. So if you want toilet paper, we will get it to you. Okay, next slide. Thank you. So your failure is also not fatal. This is also, I think, incredible. As believers in Jesus, we must make that ultimate decision to know that God can make any mess into a message. Any mess into a message. If you don't believe that, look at who's standing in front of you right now. True. God can turn any victim into a victor, any test into a testimony. The COVID only makes the point that the stuff that really matters isn't our bank accounts, it isn't our home theatres, it isn't our status symbols, it isn't our new iPhone. The stuff that really matters is life and learning and legacy. And I reckon have a laugh along the way as well. I think someone told me the other day they saw Gandalf with a roll of toilet paper. My precious. To Christians, to followers, failure is a stepping stone to forgiveness. I'm not saying it's always easy to make that step, but failure is a stepping stone to forgiveness if you want to do life the Jesus way. And forgiveness then is a stepping stone to healing, and healing then is a stepping stone to restoration. And God restores the worst to the best over and over again. Brothers and sisters, this is 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Uh, God chooses what the world refuses. Aren't you glad about that? If in the world's measure you're a nobody, you're the bottom of the scum pool, you're a failure, you can't read, you can't write, you've got violence, you've got alcohol... In fact, you're just like what I was, but Jesus can take you and promote you because that way he gets the glory. Because it's not a clever mic, then it's a very clever God who can take the worst 
and make him the first because of what God can do. That's, that's exciting. One of my favourite uh, apologists in the world, a guy who specialises on defending the faith of Jesus Christ, is a gentleman called David Wood. David Wood's most unique contribution now to the world is that he's one of the three most ardent debaters against Islam in the world, and uh, he is causing tens of thousands of Muslims to leave Islam on a monthly basis. He is really well-educated. Now, David Ward shares his testimony. You can Google it. It's, worth, it's well worth it if you've got 40 minutes to listen to his testimony. He started off life in a trailer park in, you know, hillbilly country, and the worst of situations, you know, you've got violence. I think he met his dad at his mother's wedding just before he got arrested. He then went to jail because he tried to kill his father with a hammer, didn't succeed, uh, only hit him 20 times or something and crushed his skull, but he didn't succeed, put him in jail and prison. He was actually diagnosed with a mental illness. Uh, he was uh, defined as a sociopath perhaps even, even a psychopath. Um, you, you know, he had no ability to, to see, you know, you should be crying that your dog's dead or you should be upset that your friend's committed suicide. He had no emotional intelligence at all. And uh, in that weird world, he began to think things like, when you look at ants, they're so clever, you know. They're actually running the world. They're super high intelligent beings and they've conned us into thinking that they're just insects. But look at them, they're everywhere. Uh, you know, he got quite loopy. Um, he got to a stage where he felt that as an atheist, uh, it was a superior place to be. And uh, because, you know, an atheist doesn't have to justify his morality on anything and he became a very dangerous, very broken... You know, this is insane asylum stuff. He then gets back into prison, and the guy that he's in prison with is a born-again Christian. Oh, there you go. That's funny. <laughs> but this Christian just didn't let him up. So he gets into the cycle of trying to outfast the Christian. So the Christian's going into fasting and prayer. and says, well, if you do seven days, I'm going to do ten days. If you do 20 days, I'm going to do 24 days. For no other reason apart from he just wants to win. You, you know, no, no, for no good reason at all. And eventually he's, he's hospitalized. They're putting the tubes in and all the rest. He's losing his sight. He's busted, but he's beaten the Christian. Hallelujah. <laughs> eventually he comes to his moment where he meets God and gets saved. Um, he now has a PhD in religious studies and is one of the world's leading experts on Islam, speaks Arabic. And one of the things that's changing the situation is that with the internet, you can say things on the internet that you may not be able to ever say publicly because of the death threat. But the thing with uh, David, you see, because he's a sociopath, when he gets death threats... It actually fires him up. He doesn't mind a death threat at all. You nick his pencil and you obsess about that for two hours. But a death threat? He'll say to somebody who's, you know, communicated on himself, says, you know, I'm going to kill you, David Ward. And he says, 
You're just a little boy sitting in your mother's basement. You're just a little keyboard jihadist. I challenge you to stand up to your prophet. I'll meet you at the New York subway at 10.30 a.m. And I'm going to film it to just show you that you can't even stand up for your prophet. What it means is God can use sociopaths. God can use alcoholics. God can use anybody who's prepared to let God take your failure and turn it into his forgiveness. To take your loss and turn it into his win. God can use all of us. Doesn't that give you hope? It's an amazing version. Now the next point, I could actually lose some friends. So... I need a drum roll for this one. Oh, very good, very good. I like this church, I'll come again. <laughs> Your family's not fine. And the last one is, next slide. <laughs> Your death's not final. It's really important, you know. Again, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, what's it really all about? And you watch the lives of some Christians and you think, do they really believe in an eternity? And do they really believe that, you know, our heart should be invested in our treasure, which is in heaven, not in here? There seems to be a lot of emphasis sometimes on our treasure down here rather than our treasure up there. We live in a time and a place in world history where our dominant culture is all about the now, consume, get, gain, run harder, run faster, climb the ladder. We are biologically reduced to DNA transmitters, relationally reduced to sex and pleasure, socially reduced to being consumers. Your job is to buy stuff and then to buy bigger houses so you can get more stuff so you can buy bigger stuff to put into bigger houses. Death is not the final failure if you know Jesus. As believers in Jesus, we must decide where our home is. Guys, are we passing through? Faith family, are we just journeying onto a better place? Or is it all about what we can gather here. Is heaven here on earth? I hope not, because I think I've seen hell here a few times. I really do. Robert Powell is one of my favourite actors, and his portrayal of Christ in the film King of Kings is, I think, probably been the best I've seen. I remember listening to a radio interview of the actor about his experience playing the part of Jesus Christ in this definitive movie. And he shared a surprising moment in the shooting of the movie about the Sermon on the Mount. And as they just tried to shoot this particular scene of all these people sitting down, uh, sitting down and listening to the Beatitudes and, you know, God's stands of righteousness and the, the new kingdom's laws, people spontaneously wept or laughed or smiled. And they, the, the, the director thought it was too much, you know, and they tried to... They had to shoot the scene over and over and over again because there was something happening 
as people just listening to this extended portion of this great sermon. The sermon, this great sermon, chapters uh, 5 through to 7, finish with a simple story of two houses. Well, in effect, actually two lives. Two houses, two lives. They look the same until the storms of life come. The next slide, thank you. Here we'll have that. Next slide, thanks. Okay. So if you've been to Sunday school, you would have heard the story. Anybody hears my words and does them. Uh, so hearing the words not enough, is it? In fact, hearing, you can hear it your whole life and it won't help you at all. It's those who hear the word and puts them into action. I liken unto a person who's built his house on a foundation stone upon a rock. And so when the storms of life come, it will stand. Right now, I'm going to tell you now, you will be able to look at people around you in our current crisis and you'll be able to determine very quickly what have they built their life on. Have they built it on a solid foundation in Jesus Christ and the application of his word or have they built it upon sand? Because that's unfortunately what happens to the other life, the other house, the house that's built upon the sand is the man who hears the word of God and does not do them And so when the storm comes, there comes a great crashing down as a result of being built upon that faulty foundation. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, a great storm is coming to our planet. I don't know if it's this one or if there's going to be a bigger one, but I want to tell you, I've read the book and a great storm is going to come to the planet. So this is a wonderful time to check our foundations. And so I'm just going to flip it over to another season, another time, actually from the book of Haggai, where there was a different storm at a different time, but to look at the prophetic word that God gave his people at that time. Now the prophet Haggai, I like Haggai because his name means my holiday. I like that. (laughs) Hello, holiday. Um, he's a little-known prophet who lived about 520 BCE. His ministry lasted about three months and 24 days. His styles and attitude to ministry warrant uh, consideration for another sermon. Anyway, he's come back with the people of God. They've been away in captivity, been taken off as captives, as slaves to the land of Babylon, uh, modern Iraq, and they're now returning from that captivity 70 years later. Ezra chapter 3 says that when they first got back, they started to want to put God first and rebuild the temple that had been destroyed. They started well. They put God first. That's a good way to start, isn't it? But they were a people. And so then you fast forward 16 years, and now God was no longer first, but had become secondary. Not rejected, but secondary. And therefore another season of great distress came upon the people. The harvest failed. There was drought. There was trouble. And there was sorrow. It was a storm of great distress. So the Lord sent Haggai to interpret the storm. To say to the people, this is what's going on. That God's people had put their households, their wealth, their fortune before the very house of the Lord. 
and as a result of the house of God, God becoming secondary, this plague come upon the nation. Um, Gary and I had the opportunity on uh, Friday to go to the uh, member for South East Metropolitan, Nick Gorin, and to hear from also Andrew Hasty, our federal member for Canning, and a few other emerging politicians, including uh, Michal Nakoy, uh, is also standing. We've got some good people. We've got some very good men and women serving the Lord, trying their best to push back on the bad stuff. But Andrew Hosey, who's actually uh, doing very well, he uh, presents incredibly well, both on his feet and as a gentleman, as a biblical believer. He said that, you know, if you went back 100 years in Australia, 1918 was the time of the Spanish flu, but at that time 96% of Australians identified themselves as Christians. 96%. Doesn't mean they're all going to church, but it was very high. Now that figure's down to about 40%. And even if we had 40% going to church and committed and not working out their beliefs, it would be amazing. But we know that the church is in decline in the Western world. And we are so much in need of the salt and the light that the church provides. And he made this comment. This is one of our best politicians, he says... And the mistake that people are making now, this is going to get some of you really, really excited. The mistake that some of you are making is that they think politicians can fix the problems. Apparently they can't. Oh, that's a shock, isn't it? Who didn't know that politicians can't fix the problem? (laughs) That's That's a worry, isn't it? And look, they're doing their best but they can't fix domestic violence. They can't fix substance abuse. They can't fix the crack problem because at the end of the day, if you could pass a law to make people good, then Jesus would never have had to come. The Jews would have been able to get it right right back there because they were given the right laws. If you could pass a law, in fact, I will now invoke the full authority that God's given me as the senior pastor of this church with the support of the eldership. I now command every one of you in Jesus' name to be good. It's done deal, isn't it? Hallelujah. Let's wrap up. Let's get up the team. It's all done, isn't it? You, you now know what you meant to do. Yeah. Law doesn't change it, does it? Because the problem's the heart. The problem is in us. So in Haggai... He has this encouragement. So this is what Haggai says as the word of the Lord for people in the middle of a storm. This is what you've got to do. Next slide. Be strong and get to work because I'm with you. I think that's amazing advice. If you're going to go through a storm, be strong and get to work because God is with you. And he goes on to say, the next slide, thank you. That prophetically, Jesus said, the prophets, God has said, I will shake all nations. And what is desired by all nations will come. That's Jesus himself. Salvation will come in the person of Jesus. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Do you want to know the future? There's a storm coming. Do you want to know the future? There's a shaking coming. Do you want to know the future? There's a king coming to fix it all. 
Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now you know the future. Well, how do you survive a shaking? Well, you get onto your foundations. What do I really believe? What do I really believe? And I believe that your life is not random, that it has a plan and a purpose, that nothing will happen to you that God doesn't know about. I believe that your failure isn't final. Failure is not fatal. And I believe death, something that scares so scares the life out of so many of us. It was half funny. Um, it's not the final enemy. So when I die, I hope it's not today, not this week. I plan to live long. Don't be sad for me because I will be dancing with Jesus. I'll be annoying Moses. I will be playing chess with the Apostle Paul. I'd like to take that guy on because he was pretty good. I'm going to be talking to Hezekiah. What the heck were you thinking? <laughs> it's not about this life. There's some perspective for you. Um, so there's a great prophecy. Be strong, all you people of the Lord, and go to work, for I am with you. Let the storms come. Let the wind of the Holy Spirit blow out the chaff of our lives. Let's stand on Christ, the solid rock, where all else is sinking sand. Let God's church arise, for God is preparing a people. God is preparing a holy habitation, a dwelling place for his glory. The world may grow darker, yet the church will grow brighter as we see the approach of his coming. Thus saith the Lord. You guys have the team up, thanks. I've got no clock, so I don't know where I am. But uh, we'll have them up. Great. It's... The coronavirus is uh, a real clever thing that's sort of like jumped from the animal, from the animals. Apparently went from a, maybe a bat to an armadillo to a human. And it's clever in that it locks into certain... Um, cellular structures of the lungs so if it gets in there it, it may cause you some real real harm I still also want to give you perspective too only 0.9% of the deaths worldwide have occurred uh, have, have occurred with people under the age of 65 so you know it, it says that if you're young and healthy you're probably going to be really okay it's a bad flu if you're vulnerable if you've got a respiratory disease it's a bit more serious for sure but we now have this infection. Uh, it's up to 140,000 now around the world, apparently. And it's transmitted by something that you can't see. You know, sir? You can't see it. You, know, you can't see sin, really. You know, the, the infection in the human race that we call sin is invisible to the eyes. It's microscopic in the sense you cannot physically see it and yet it is communicated from life to life to life I can almost guarantee you in this room you did not buy your first glass of alcohol I can almost guarantee you you didn't have to buy your first cigarette I can almost guarantee you that many of the things that get us into trouble you had a bunch of people around you saying I dare you everybody else is doing it it's amazing how infectious sin and selfishness can be. How many people justify, well, everybody, you know, the worst thing, everybody's doing it. 
on that next big one these days, why did you do that? I was bored. Like, I still don't see how those two equate with each other. You know, you stole a car and you ran to bottle shop because you were bored. Okay. <laughs> Have you heard of a sandpit? <laughs> Have you heard of patience? Have you heard of minesweeper? I mean, come on, because you're bored. Yet it's an invisible thing that infects people. And it's fascinating that, that the government authority, where there is the ability, the authority, and the responsibility, their best way to prevent that from happening is through what we call isolation, social distancing. I think hell is ultimately God's isolation chamber for infected people with sin. Because that's the trouble of sin. I may not be as sinful as Hitler, but if I'm carrying the virus, you let me out and I infect someone who infects someone who infects someone who becomes a Hitler. So that's the problem. It's the same bug. Not all of us get the same level of explosion or presentation of that virus in our life. So here we have the authority, the responsible authority, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, saying, okay, I'm going to have to isolate you if you're diseased. But I do have a cure for you, and I've actually spent my whole life and wealth developing a cure for the virus that we call sin. And it's called the drug Jesus Christ. It's called the cross of Jesus Christ. It's only one drug. Unfortunately, it's very narrow in that sense. It's very bigoted. You know, it's very politically incorrect. Because there's only one drug that's going to cure the one problem, sin. His name's Jesus. And you know what? Everybody can get healed. Everybody doesn't have to go to hell. Everybody can actually take the cure, which is to accept Jesus Christ's capacity to change my heart from being sin-saturated to being saviour-saturated. It's a great thing. We call it the gospel. It's the gospel. So I want to thank and applaud all you brave people today who've come out to risk my infectious humour and to rejoice. Uh, Father, we do pray, Lord, for those who are caught up in this. And, Lord, fear is a terrible thing wherever you are, Lord. It, uh, it paralyzes us and gets us to make bad choices. Uh, Lord, we also want to remember, uh, I think her name's Lily, one of the blaze, one of the missionary girls, Lord, in Iraq. She's got a broken leg. And, Lord, they, they probably need to get her out of that area where there's war and snow and all sorts of things. It's not a good time to be traveling. So, Lord, we pray for a miracle in that situation. And, Lord, we lift up our heads to look to you because you're in control. Lord, you know what you're doing. And part, and part of all this is that when you shake the earth, Lord, it will loosen our grasp on those idols of wealth and self-confidence and self-determination and a life without you, Lord, you want to shake that out of our hands, that, Lord, that we would reach up into your hand, put our hand in the hand of the man from Galilee who will never let us go, never forsake us. We thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we'll sing. Uh, I'm
going to run out of this place.